you are listening to the CFP Podcast with your hosts, Chappie, Wax, and Sully. College football knowledge dropping in three, two, one. Happy day, college football fans, and thank you for joining us on the CFP Podcast. I'm Chappie with Mike Waxman, our faxman, and Boston Sully joining us a little later for the picks. We're going to give you the lowdown on Showdown Saturday. It's going down, and at least three undefeateds will be going down as Saturday's slate features a trio of undefeated versus undefeated, while two others are facing ranked foes as they perspirate to protect perfection. Six total ranked versus ranked matchups brighten the Saturday slate, and we're going to do you the favor and punctuate our passion with picks and prep. All we ask is that you listen and share the love. Follow us on Twitter at ChappieCFB, at CFFMWaxman, and at CFI underscore Sully. And if you need a site to get it right, visit CFPCollegeFootball.com. So we're going to get right into it, Wax. We're going to start off with conference calls. We're going to go around the nation. We're going to hit all Power 5 conferences, and then we're going to touch on the group of five, lumping them all together, not to say that they mean anything less, but... We want to bring it all to a head, and so we're going to kick it off here with conference calls. And we're going to tell you what's happening, starting with the SEC. So this past weekend, there were four ranked teams in the SEC that won. Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi State all victorious. Two ranked SEC teams went down, number 25 LSU and number 14 Kentucky, which was upset by unranked South Carolina. The Gamecocks and head coach Shane Beamer now four and two. Uh, We've had some shakeup in the polls. Georgia moves back to number one in the AP, while Alabama drops to number three. So those two kind of swap it out. Uh, Some news of note, quarterback Will Rogers was 31 of 48 for 395 yards, Three touchdowns, no interceptions. Seemingly, he's been perfect the last few weeks, and he's got the Mississippi State Bulldogs ranked number 16. They're 5-1, and one, and they kind of think, what if? If they had just played a full game against LSU, they had a lead in the first half, but then dropped it in Death Valley. They could be sitting at 6-0 and oh, and most likely a top-eight ranked team. But back to Rodgers, he becomes the SEC's all-time leader in career completions, And it makes sense running that Mike Leach air raid offense, but Leach has had high praise for Rodgers in his own Mike Leach way. Kind of reading between the lines, you would you would think that this is one of the best quarterbacks, according to Leach, that has run his system. And he's had some really good ones, Wax. Um, Speaking of quarterbacks on the injury front. Alabama's Bryce Young is hopeful for this weekend's slate against Tennessee. Uh, He sat out last week in a narrow victory over the Texas A&M Aggies, but um, he's, you know, Nick Saban is hopeful that he'll be able to play against the Volunteers this weekend. K.J. Jefferson for Arkansas, who is out, uh, is hopeful also for their matchup against BYU out in Provo. Uh, And then Will Levis, who really, you know, there was the injury to his finger against Ole Miss, but he showed up in pregame warmups in a walking boot, did not play last weekend in their loss, their home loss to South Carolina. And so he is day-to-day, 
but with a, a walking boot, unless that was just smoke and mirrors and he was just trying to kind of uh, rehab that finger or something else for a week. It, it doesn't look good that Levis might be able to play this weekend. Then we go to Knoxville, Tennessee, where captain and safety Jalen McCullough was arrested on Sunday on felony assault charges. So um, he's he's out. But this is the third Tennessee arrest this season and maybe drawing some concern about the culture there. I know that they're one of the more penalized teams on the field. So off the field, we're starting to see some of these instances. Now, granted, they're still undefeated right now. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if McCullough will be able to suit up or if he's going to face some sort of disciplinary action and, and not go against the Tide on Saturday. Running back Jameer Gibbs had a big day running the football, 154 rushing yards after a 200-yard performance against Arkansas the week prior. He averaged 7.3 yards per carry and uh, says that he's ready for an increased workload, especially if Bryce Young is still kind of coming back and Jalen Milrow, if he's the quarterback to be while he's getting his wings under him a little bit, Gibbs is ready for that workload and that could catapult him into some serious Heisman talks. Granted, they, they beat the teams ahead of them. And then Jonathan Mingo, big day catching the ball for Ole Miss, even though they, they started off and were down by 10 on the road to Vanderbilt, they came back and put up mucho points. He had nine catches for 247 receiving yards, 27 yards per reception, and two house calls in that one, Wax. So that's the SEC. Uh, let's move to the Big Ten. Tell us what's going on. Well, in the Big Ten, uh, two of the interim coaches got victories. Mickey Joseph at Nebraska and Stop the Presses. Right now, Nebraska is tied for the lead in the Big Ten West at 2-1 and one after everyone kind of thought they were the laughingstock of college football early in the season. So they have kind of righted the ship. They still have some tough games left, but they at least are playing some competent football now. Um, and Jim Leonard in his first game as head man for the Wisconsin Badgers, Wisconsin has one of its most productive games in a long time, beating Northwestern 42-7. to And, oh, it took just one game for Paul Chris to be out for Graham Mertz to look great. Graham Mertz threw five touchdown passes, had one of his highest QBRs uh, since he's been on campus, and Wisconsin looked like a really fully functional offense under Jim Leonard, who, get this, is a defensive coach. So I don't know what the Stars are doing, uh, if they just aligned or what it was, but Wisconsin looked really good. Um, moving on to Ohio State, they moved up to number two in the AP poll. And I'm, having, I'm thinking that C.J. Stroud probably wishes he could face Michigan State every week of the season. In two <laughs> games against the Spartans, he's thrown 12 touchdown passes and had just eight incompletions. Yes, that's more touchdown passes than incompletions in two years against Michigan State. I don't know uh, what Mel Tucker's team is doing defensively. They were completely outclassed, um, and they look like they are taking on water big time. So they've really got to get it together, especially since Mel signed that $95 million contract in the offseason that I don't know if the school can, uh, can, can get out from under anytime soon. Um, if you take a look at the national defensive stats, you will find six Big Ten teams in the top 25 in total defense on a yards per play basis, including 
the surprising Illinois Fighting Illini have the best defense in the country, um, not only in yards per in, in uh, yards per game, but yards per play. They're giving up just 3.73 yards per play. Right behind them is Iowa at 3.83. So it only went to figure that uh, their game went uh, without uh, w- w- without much scoring, and it ended up being a, a nine to six contest in favor of the Illini. But they are certainly the surprise of the season so far, and they are also a team that is in line in the Big Ten West to uh, do some big things. And speaking of the Iowa Hawkeyes, this is pretty amazing. They've held five of their first six opponents to 10 points or less, but they're three and three. They may have the worst offense in college football. It is an antiquated approach. The players, they're certainly lacking in skill position guys. And Spencer Petrus may be the nicest kid in the world. He's just not getting it done, and you would think that at some point that I was going to have to look to make a change, but it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. I think Kirk Ferentz said at his press conference this week, well, we've won a few games here, kind of like what he says, you can't go against that. So we'll see what Iowa does. Uh, they Next week, they have the unenviable task of trying to keep up with Ohio State coming off of a bye week, uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. So we'll see how that one goes. Yeah, and back to Illinois, I mean, I've seen their top 10 in almost every significant defensive category. So they have Minnesota for homecoming this weekend, and they are a a six-and-a-half-point underdog at home with numbers that are much better than the the Gophers. So I hope that Rodney Dangerfield is the grand marshal for the homecoming parade because uh, they didn't get no respect. Yeah. Uh, All right, moving on to the Pac-12. There were three teams that were ranked in the Pac-12 that all won last weekend, USC, UCLA, and Oregon, and then two ranked teams that got upset. Number 11, Utah, who lost to UCLA on the road, and the Bruins put up a really good fight and and showed that they were a better team. It wasn't that Utah made a bunch of mistakes. It wasn't that Utah just came out flat. It was UCLA showed up, they played, and they are proving that they are – in that breath of one of those top teams, one of the top 15 teams in the country. And the number 21, Washington, lost for the second straight week as a ranked team, dropping out of the top 25. They went on the road into the uh, the desert and lost to the Arizona State Sun Devils, who were threaded in beautiful uniforms. I know you loved them, Wax. Um, yeah. I, I speak facetiously, of course. So USC and UCLA are clearly the top two teams in the Pac-12. Both of them are 6-0. and and sadly for the Pac-12, they're going to be gone to the Big Ten in a couple of years. Oregon is 5-1, and one, and then there are four teams at 4-2. and two. So this conference that we kind of talked about and trashed for the last few years, and for good reason, now they're showing to be a much more competitive and playing much better football than a lot of other conferences around the country when you look at it from even just a top-half perspective. The Pac-12 has some really competitive and really impressive teams so far. Uh, Utah in their game against USC in Salt Lake city is going dark mode, having all dark uniforms with black helmets, black jerseys, black pants. And I know that we've talked about this several times wax about uh, schools that go against their school colors, but uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's a kitsch. It's a gimmick here, but it's also a psychological thing. And 18 to 22 year olds, sometimes they need that, 
added boost and maybe that will bring the the youth some luck and some uh motivation as they're going to need it to try and hold on to dear life in the pac-12 uh with one loss in conference already uh on the injury front two guys from washington state wide receiver renard bell and running back nakia watson it looks like they're going to be out for quite some time so wazoo at uh at four and two they lost a competitive game against usc they were only down by one score at halftime, but then the Trojans put it on them in the second half. Um, those are two big losses on the offensive side. Michael Penix for Washington says that he's all good after an injury scare against Arizona State last week. But again, like we said, Washington's got to get that fixed. They're on a two-game skid, and having Penix healthy is certainly going to help that out. And then Oregon D-tackle Popo Almave is has been injured since the fall camp. He's out for this year, but he's considering, heavily considering petitioning the NCAA for an extra year under medical hardship to possibly come back and play for the Ducks next season. So that could be good news for Duck fans. And then some highlights in terms of uh, individual players. Zach Charbonnet, 22 carries, 198 rushing yards last week, nine yards per carry against what is perceived as a pretty good Utah defense. Only one touchdown, but um, his fellow mates on offense got a few other scores to, to make it a two-score victory over the Utes. And then running back Travis Dye for USC, 149 rush yards, 5.3 yards per carry. He kind of put that offense on his back when the passing game was limited somewhat. So uh, looking really good. Speaking about you know Oregon Ducks, he transfers over from Oregon and is having as impressive a an offensive season as Caleb Williams, his quarterback. In fact, Wax, I would even go as far as to say right now, Die might be that offensive MVP, because in Lincoln Riley's system, I think even if Caleb Williams were to go down, uh, Miller Moss could step in and under Riley's tutelage, probably would still have a, a good offensive output with all those receivers at his disposal and the play calling. But Travis Die is somebody who really gives that offense an extra boost with that run game. So let's go out to the, the ACC and, and run down what's going on in that conference wax. Um, the ACC certainly looks like it uh, now, now that they've cleared the hurdle, it looks like Clemson is uh, there. The, the, the league is theirs to win. Um, they beat Boston college 31 to three. That was the Saturday night game. Why it was, I don't know. Clemson, again, is going to be on Saturday night. So ABC has just kind of set up shop in uh, Clemson uh, uh, for Clemson that seems like they're going to be the game every week. So we should probably uh, get used to that. But uh, some of the interesting games, Georgia Tech won its second in a row under Brent Key, beating Duke 23-20. to um, And going back, if you look, the last two times that they had played Georgia Tech had won the game. So maybe people shouldn't have found this to be a super surprise just because they have had good recent success against the Blue Devils who were coming off of that uh, loss to Kansas. And you wonder, is Duke maybe going to start its downward spiral a little bit? Um, NC State and Florida State play, played probably the best game of the week. NC State came away with a 19-17 to 17 win at home getting an interception from Devin Boykin in the end zone with 38 seconds left. Um, and that's despite losing Devin Leary to uh, an injury. Um, Leary left with his arm in a sling. So Jack Chambers came in, and he's not a guy 
who I think they expected to play much this year. So we will see what North Carolina State does going forward if Leary is out for a prolonged amount of time. Um, also, for the Pitt Panthers, who have been really inconsistent offensively this year, maybe they found the secret. Just hand the ball to Izzy Abanacanda because he just ran wild over Virginia Tech. 320 yards and six rushing touchdowns. Yes, you heard right, six. He had seven all of last season. So he basically equaled his season total in one game against Virginia Tech, who can I say is for a team that has had such pride in its defense over the last 20, 25 years is a terrible, terrible defensive team. And that's something that that they're going to need to get figured out sooner rather than later if they want to do any kind of contending. Also, Louisville behind Brock Doman because Malik Cunningham was out with an injury, uh, spotted West Virginia a lead and then came back to win 34 to 17. Doman is a little bit more um, of the, of the, a true running quarterback. He, he wasn't bad against, uh, against Virginia. He completed about 57% of his passes. He did throw a couple of picks, but he also ran for 71 yards on nine carries and scored a touchdown. And, just really, Virginia started fast and faded, and Tony Elliott is probably, this is not the season he expected to have. Brennan Armstrong looks out of kilter. They've got all kinds of receivers, but they keep dropping the ball, especially Dontavian Wicks, who really burst onto the scene last year. They just can't get out of their own way. So uh, a long season in uh, Charlottesville for the Virginia Cavaliers. Um, and... There was a, an out-of-conference game. We kind of talked about it early in the year. How cool is it going to be to see a high-powered Wake Forest Army rematch when last year's game was so fun? And it really uh, wasn't uh, all that good. 45-10, to 10, Wake Forest won in a laugher. So uh, Jeff Munkin's got to kind of go back to the drawing board. This is not one of his best Army teams. Yeah, they're 1-4 or 1-5 yeah. maybe. Um, yeah, it's, it's not looking as good as we expected it to be. And going back to Virginia, they have scored the third fewest points among all power five programs. The only two offenses worse. I'm sure you could guess Iowa is, uh, the second, uh, worst. And then the worst overall with only 67 points scored this year is Colorado, who, as we mentioned, is under an interim coach right now. So yeah, I'm baffled that Tony Elliott, Brennan Armstrong, that, receiving core that I put in the top five of all receiving groups in the, in the country this year, at least in the power five um, they're, they're putting out such little offensive output. And I know that their offensive line was a question mark, but I I figured them to score more than 107 points in six games wax. Yep. All right. Going to the big 12. So there were three ranked teams that won last weekend, Oklahoma state TCU and Kansas state. And because TCU won, that meant that a ranked Kansas team lost the 19th ranked Jayhawks. They also lost their quarterback, Jaden or Jalen Daniels for the year, unfortunately, with a shoulder injury. So Jason Bean looks to be the guy to go for the rest of the way. But kudos to Bean for stepping in and playing really the last part of the second quarter and all the second half and keeping the Jayhawks in it. They were down to a final potential game tying drive, but fell short. So just a seven point loss to TCU at home with college game day there. Um, But I wouldn't give up hope on the Jayhawks because they've got Lance Leipold leading the way. And then Texas, what a blowout in the red river rivalry. 
this was a game that Sark and the Texas fan base and the Texas program really needed, not just to get a win and go to four and two and, and kind of be looked at as one of the uh, stronger teams in the big 12, but because it was in blowout fashion over the OU Sooners, this game had been close. I think like something like eight of the last 10 games had been decided by a touchdown or less. No, this was shades of Oklahoma in 2000 when they beat Texas 63 to 14 or whatever it was when Bob Stoops had the uh, the Sooners booming and on their way back and, and really looking good. My, how things have changed. Uh, I, I wonder when the last time Oklahoma started off 0-3 looking like this with the talent that they had. I mean, I know the last time that it was was John Blake was the head coach, and that was in the, the mid to late 90s, but that was coming off of Gary Gibbs, I believe, and – um, you know, they weren't uh, perceived to be a team that was going to contend. I mean, most people, myself included, had OU penciled in in the Big 12 championship game. But now they've given up 145 points in the last three games. They gave up a combined 30 points in their first three games. So uh, you go from averaging basically 10 points given up to now almost 50 points a game in the last three contests. Something's got to get fixed there. Um, we look at Texas Tech. They were hanging on and they were given Oklahoma State, unbeaten Oklahoma State, all they could handle with their third different starting quarterback this year, freshman Baron Morton, who showed up. He completed 39 of 62 passes for 379 yards in his starting debut, two touchdowns, but one interception. And that was a costly one in the fourth quarter. They almost beat Oklahoma State. Um, I thought that they were going to hold and, and cover and beat that spread, but they, they gave up a touchdown late and lost by 10. Point spread was 9.5. Quentin Johnston for TCU, big game, 14 catches against Kansas, 206 yards. That's almost 15 yards of reception. And he had what eventually became the game-winning touchdown in the fourth quarter. And we touched on some of the injury news. Daniels for Kansas is out. Sadly, he was having a, a promising start. I would have loved to have seen him put up some good numbers and make it to New York as a Heisman finalist, but looks like that's not going to be the case. Dylan Gabriel for Oklahoma sat out last weekend against Texas. He's still in concussion protocol, but according to coach Brent Venables, it's likely that he will play against Kansas back home um, at uh, in Norman this week. That's going to be a game that both of those programs really need to win Kansas to prove that this is not a fluke and it wasn't just a fluffed start and Oklahoma to stop a three-game losing skid and to prevent going 0-4 in Big 12 play. And then for Kansas State, Deuce Vaughn and Felix Anidike Uzoma, their offensive and defensive MVPs respectively so far, no, no disrespect to quarterback Adrian Martinez, um, but uh, those two came out of the game in, in some pain, Vaughn with an apparent leg injury. It seems like those are not serious injuries. Chris Kleiman, their head coach, says um, they're going to take this week off and recover. They should be good to go and are probable for their matchup in two weeks off of the bye. But linebacker Khalid Duke may be a little bit more serious. He left the game with an injury as well. And Kleiman is not as optimistic about his uh, return to action sooner than later. So that's the injury news. That's the, the, the performances in the big 12 wax. Let's finish up with our beloved group of five. What's going on 
in those five conferences that really ought to get more love than what they are? Well, I guess the big news is that, and, and normally down in the pecking order, you and I love the Mac, but from an aesthetic standpoint, they are always thought to be behind the Sunbelt and the American and all that good stuff. But uh, for a weekend anyway, they were in the headlines. Quinion Mitchell, sophomore corner from uh, the Toledo Rockets, picked off four passes and returned two of them for touchdowns. So uh, certainly Toledo has not been a team known, uh, known for defense. Really not a whole lot of teams in the MAC are. But he was just a ball hawk, and Toledo scored 52 points. And he was uh, really just – he had eight pass breakups last year. Interestingly, didn't have an interception last year. He did have a fumble recovery, but he had no interceptions last year. So he is already vaulted in one game – into a second place in the national standings in, um, in interceptions. So that was certainly a good note for him. Um, a couple of other notes, Boise state, who I think a lot of us thought was maybe going to be left for dead after Hank Bachmeyer, uh, got hurt and then decided he was going to leave and Andy Avalos fired the offensive coordinator. Well, all they've done is they now have, uh, seized the lead in the uh, Mountain West Mountain Conference, they're three and zero and four and two, and they scored forty points last week against a really decimated Fresno State team with no Jake Hayner. Fresno has found points really, really difficult to come by, and through no fault of their own, they're probably one of the bigger disappointments of the season. Um, I had them and Houston kind of vying for the Group of Five uh, automatic bid, and it certainly doesn't look like with the way Fresno has been playing that, um, that, that they're going to get it. So um, Colorado state got off to Schneid and ended up beating Nevada in an early game last week. They played on Friday. Um, and so now there's only one winless team. The aforementioned, as we talked about it in the PAC 12, Colorado Buffalo, some in the state of Colorado wasn't working very well because Jay Norvell's team was winless, but he beat his old team. So maybe there was a little bit of, uh, of karma in there. Maybe he said, you know what? I still know what these guys do. And, um, and he was able to get the win. And then moving on to uh, the Sun Belt, the last couple of years, we've been watching the Coastal Carolina Chant Chanticleers just kind of really hold court on everybody. Uh, but this year, they're a little bit of a different team. They're gritting out close games. They uh, beat Louisiana Monroe last week, who's actually been one of the doormats of the league. They only won by a touchdown. The week before, they beat Georgia Southern by four. They had another four-point win over Gardner-Webb earlier this season. So the chance are getting some toughness rather than just uh, out-scheming everybody and out-throwing everybody. Um, they're they're 6-0, and and they're looking real good. And don't we wish that their game with James Madison wasn't the last week of the season because those two teams are looking great. James Madison, after five weeks in the FBS, gets into the Associated Press rankings. So kudos to Kurt Signetti and his Dukes. Um, they have really played well. They have scored uh, over 40 points in four of their six games, and they went on the road and beat App State. And then they uh, won uh, – on the road at Arkansas State, which I mean they're they're not a great team, but they're they're decent. 
And then this week they close out that road swing, three road games in four weeks. They play that same Georgia Southern team that gave Coastal um, some trouble. So we will see if they come through this with flying colors. But the Sun Belt, certainly. Coastal and James Madison have given people reason to take notice. And in the other side, South Alabama is doing really well. Um, and in the American, Cincinnati normally has had an easy time with South Florida. They needed some late heroics, and they only beat Jeff Scott's South Florida Bulls 28 to 24. So uh, maybe there's a little bit of a leveling of the playing field in the AAC. Cincinnati not quite as dominant as they have been. Yeah, and how about James Madison? Five five games into their FBS uh, introductory season, and they're ranked number 25. So congrats to the Dukes. Uh, but be on upset alert out in uh, Statesboro, Georgia, against those Georgia Southern Eagles. And, um, yeah, Nevada winning – or, I'm sorry, losing to Colorado State and Colorado State winning without scoring an offensive touchdown. So two – defensive scores and then a, a field goal at the end when they missed it to begin with, but then erupting the kicker penalty gives them another shot and they win that. So um, good stuff. And, and also, you know, lastly, touching on the Sun Belt, how, how far has App State seemed to have fallen? They're now three and three. They lost to Texas State last week after going on the road and winning in state college. And then, um, you know, they should have beaten North Carolina the week before uh, they, they get beaten in a close game to James Madison, but you know, we can chalk that up to JMU being a good team, but then now drop into Texas state app state seems to be um, kind of, I don't want to say left for dead, but there's certainly their star has faded uh, fast in the last couple of weeks. Well, they and Louisiana, the two perennials in their divisions are kind of really struggling. Louisiana's bringing up the rear in the West. Right, right. Absolutely. All right, Wax. Well, before we get to our break here, uh, you got a trivia question, and and I need to get off the the trivia slide here. So hit us with your trivia question, and we'll see how how well I can do. Well, I think you'll you'll you may know this one uh, because you talked about it in uh, one of your recent uh, walk it off segments. But um, okay. we mentioned Izzy Abanacanda running for over three hundred yards and six touchdowns. Two other players from uh, Power 5 programs have done the same thing in the last 25 seasons. Can you name either or both? Um, that have uh, scored six t rushing touchdowns you're talking about? And 300 yards in the same game. Okay. Um, I want to say Samaji Pirine from uh, Oklahoma. That is not one. I believe he only had five touchdowns in that game. Okay. Oh, only five. <laughs> um let's see um in the last 20 years so that eliminates troy davis um well no it's last 25 seasons oh last 25 seasons okay but it's not troy davis it's not troy davis from iowa state okay um if you can give me the conferences that they played in, that might help me out a bit here. The state they played in because both of them played their college football in the same state. Okay, what state are we talking? We're talking the Lone Star State. Lone Star State, all right. Um, is Ricky Williams one of them? Ricky Williams is one of them. Okay, now the Ricky Williams at Texas, not Texas Tech. Correct. Um, 
And yes. then the other, would it be uh, LT, Ladanian Tomlinson? One of my all-time favorites. He is. All the- right. Beautiful. Yep. A great horned frog, number five. And then Ricky Williams, number 11, then switched to number 34. Um, two very good running backs for the Lone Star State. Well, we've got two really good guests coming up on the other side here. When we get to cover four, we'll be joined by Mark Wogenrich from All Penn State, a, a Penn State beat writer, and Aaron McMahon from Ann Arbor News and M Live, who covers the Michigan Wolverines, to help us look at a little bit deeper on the number 10 Penn State versus number five Michigan matchup coming up. This is the CFP podcast. We thank you for listening. We'll be right back. All right, college football fans, thanks for coming back. We are now at the spot on our podcast that many people love. We love it too. This is Cover Four. Cover Four. I told you guys, one of my favorites. I love it. There's so much to go into it. So as we've done throughout this season, Wax and I are pleased to be joined by beat writers, insiders for the teams that we'll be watching. These are the guys that cover the teams a little bit more in-depth than Wax and myself. And we're going to start with Mark Wogenrich, publisher of All Penn State on the Fan Nation Network at SI.com. He covers the Nittany Lions in-depth. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Like I said, anytime we can get some some pulse from the inside, it's it's always great. And, you know, Wax and I being residents of Big Ten country, we certainly like to talk to our Big Ten beat writers a little bit more than others. So, uh, Wax, we're going to start off with question one going from you to Mark. So hit us off with question one here, Wax. Uh, Mark, uh, Penn State is certainly a defense that has shown itself all year to be legitimate. They're just on the fringes of top 20. If you go by yards per play, they're safely in the top top uh, 20, both in against the run and the pass. What is the biggest threat to Penn State's defense this week? Blake Corum and the way he's been running or now the burgeoning passing game with J.J. McCarthy throwing, showing himself to be a threat? Yeah, it's a good place to start. And I might go a combination of those. If Michigan can combine them, if they can mix Blake Corum, run it out, run it out, and then get McCarthy in a play action, something like that, that might be their best bet. Although I really think Penn State has stopped a couple of um, a couple of okay run games, like they did a number on Auburn. Now, I don't know what we know about Auburn necessarily, but they did a number on Auburn's run game down there. They didn't let – Tank Bigsby uh, run for much at all. The issue, though, is that really that front seven has not did not start out as the strength of Penn State's defense. The linebacker position is probably the shallowest on the team, and their front four, although they've got a lot of talent, they are mixing in uh, you know a couple of players who were injured last year. One player, um, a guy named Chop Roberts, who's actually if not their best, one of their best pass rushers. He played linebacker in a 3-4 at Maryland and transferred over to Penn State to play 4-3 defensive end. He's been good, but they've really had to mix all these guys in there. Two of them, guy, a player is Adisa Isaac, a defensive end and a tackle, Hakeem Beeman, didn't play last year. 
one for team reasons, one for an injury. P.J. Must for their best down lineman, who was second-team All-Big Ten last year, even though he only played five games. He was coming back from an injury. They had a lot of work to do there, and I think against Northwestern, that group probably came together as good as it has a year, but they're still, they're still an issue there. I think the front seven, Michigan absolutely is going to lean. I think they're going to lean heavily on that. Where Penn State has been really successful this year, one thing Manny Diaz, our new defensive coordinator, has done and, and said he would do, actually as it's come to fruition, is play as deep as positions, and that's their secondary. They're playing like nine guys out of their secondary. They run this package like, excuse me, they call it the Prowler Packets. They'll put seven defensive backs on the field, and it's not just, you know, passing downs. It's, you know, they're putting it – in pass rush downs. They're putting it, uh, they're mixing it in there where they're floating a safety named Jair Brown, who's I think playing at an all American level. They're floating him to the line of scrimmage. They're cheating cornerbacks up. They're showing you blitzes. Then they'll drop guys back. They're doing that because they like the depth they have there and they trust their corners. One of them is Joey Porter jr. Has been terrific this year. They trust them in kind of a man situation. So I'll be really curious to see how much they're going to keep that up and whether they're going to trust that, trust those island guys, especially Joey Porter and the other corners on the other side, uh, Kalen King and Johnny Dixon against Michigan's receivers. And then how Michigan, with with their passing game, whether they're going to test the running or test the linebackers on Penn State side. That's just not where Penn State wants to go. I think one of the things they're doing with that, that back seven thing that they're playing is to cover the fact that they're a little light at linebacker. That's not their best position. So if if Michigan doesn't exploit that and allows Penn State to be successful at that, that that's really bodes well for Penn State defensively in this game. Yeah, and and Mark Wax touched on how good both defenses have been. I'm very curious to see um, what's going to be a bigger impact for Penn State's offensive success. If it's going to be Clifford in the passing game or if it's going to be the combination of Nick Singleton and Catron Allen on the run game. But my question to you is actually going to go on more of a, uh, a macro level. So James Franklin has struggled on the road as Penn State's head coach. He's just 21 and 18. And even in their 11 win seasons of 2017 and 2019, all four of their combined losses in those two years were away from Happy Valley. And, you know, on the other side, Michigan's Jim Harbaugh was always criticized as not being able to win the quote-unquote big game. Well, James Franklin, I think, has yet to prove that he can go on the road and beat a top-five team like Michigan, and he's got that opportunity now. So how much of a concern is it to Penn State Nation playing in Ann Arbor in this spot where they have a chance to really uh, make some movement against a team like Michigan? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because I posted a story at the website uh, yesterday kind of touching on those lines. And for Penn State fans, if they're looking for any voodoo signs, this might be one of them. The last time Penn State won a road game at a top five team was in 1994. The 94 team, of course, went 12-0. and 0. Oh, yeah. That team they beat was Michigan on the road. Penn State was 5-0 and 0 at the time, coming off a bye, and Michigan was ranked fifth in the country. Penn State won that game 31-24. So I don't know how many stars are aligned in that <laughs> scenario. That you know, of course, that doesn't mean anything for Saturday, but just as just you know, as like witchcraft data points, right? That's right. a pretty good one. Since that 94 sure. game, Penn State's 0-13 on the road against top five teams. Now, granted, it's not easy to do. You know, that's not right. an easy thing to do. Win at a top five team. 
and most of the time they're playing Michigan, Ohio State. You know, a couple of times was Alabama in there. So they're just that, – that, that's really tough. Yeah. That being said, you know, I, I don't know if this necessarily is the game that James Franklin has to have as like a signature marker or Sean Clifford needs as the signature marker because there's still Ohio State sitting out there at home and Penn right. State conceivably can lose this game and if somehow puts everything together in two weeks, beats Ohio State, they could be, you know, they're very much back in contention for that East title to go to the Big Ten uh, championship game. So I would say this doesn't have maybe to me the uh, maybe that that level of got to have is that like 19 Minnesota game or when they went to in 2017 when they it was that was against an unranked Michigan State team. They, you know, coming off a bye and or excuse me, the week after losing to Ohio State, a one point loss. They go to Michigan State. They had that just unbelievable weather, three-hour weather delay, and lose that game. And that's the best team that James Franklin has had. had, That's that 17 team. So I think, yeah, I think they do want to kind of end some of these question marks and these doubts. You know, the post-bye week record, I think, is three and five, stuff like that. He would like to quell that because stuff like that does get under his skin. Because he always points to, well, look at what else we've done. My record, 60, you know, like 69, 60, 69 wins. Or actually, he's above 70 wins now. But that sort of thing. Like, he wins a lot of games. And he's done that for, you know, eight and a half years now. But you're right. They're the signature outside of 16 Ohio State and a couple of bowl wins in the first game against Central Florida and Ireland. Um, he really, I don't, he hasn't really put them there yet. Yeah, and, and I got to say, um, that 94 Penn State team was one of my favorite teams ever to watch. So if if they can be half of what that offensive yeah. output was for that team combined with their defense this year, then mark them down. They're, they're going to Indianapolis. Because, yeah, this is I not mean, a 40-point Big Ten offense. I don't right. think like that one was. Right, right. Um, all right, well, Mark, uh, we're going to give you your platform here to tell us in your eyes – how do you think this game shakes out between the number 10 Nittany Lions and the number five Michigan Wolverines? I'm leaning, I'm leaning in a Michigan direction right now, simply because I think that run game, the run offense, the possessions that I think that Michigan can handle and the pressure they're going to be able to get on Penn State's defense. I, I, I just look at it from the perspective. I'm, I don't know that Penn State is going to be able to, to shut down Michigan's run game the way they did Auburn. I don't see that that happening. So Michigan's going to be able to control tempo and the clock that way. Conversely, then, does that put Penn State in a position to be maybe a little bit more aggressive than uh, they might want to be in a situation? That means putting the ball in Sean Clifford's hand. And with that, you are you're rolling the dice. I mean, he I I'm a huge Sean Clifford fan. I think he's been a great representative of the program. Sure six years, four years as a starter. He's, you know, James, and kind of James Franklin tonage, he, you know, he kind of refers to Sean Clifford almost as like just this, this really, really terrific. And he is, he's a, he's a great pre-snap quarterback. He gets everything done during the week. His study habits are just, they're irreproachable. You will see him identify defenses and doing everything before the snap. Absolutely right. It's just a matter of, can he put the ball where it's supposed to be consistently? 
And he just, he's had lapses over the course of his career that there's, that sometimes that just that come back to haunt him. It almost did against Purdue. He had that really bad interception in a game yeah. that he was playing pretty well. He a couple interceptions in that Minnesota game I talked about in 19 that ended you know the win streak. I just don't know whether you could put the ball in his hands and have them win and 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 feel like that they are going to win on his shoulders. So if Michigan then Michigan is able to shut down the run and run. I'm not sure where Penn State one scores points and then two has the possession power to do it. They're not a big play offense this year in the context of throwing the ball as they have been. They've got to find that. If they can find that, everything, you know, everything's off. All bets are off, I think, from Penn State perspective. But I just I like Michigan in a kind of a, in a one score game, maybe something similar to what we saw last year where they kind of control it up. It's still a close game. But they have – they just control the possession and control the tempo of the game to a point that Penn State can't, like, unlock it and get out of uh, – and, and get over the top of Michigan, so to speak. So I'm sure, thinking it sure. like a 24-20 kind of score, although I'm not uh, entirely sold on that as a pick yet, but that's kind of where I'm leaning. Yeah, okay. And, and you know, full disclosure, we are about uh, three or four days before kickoff, depending on when the listeners listen to this. So uh, clearly subject to change. But, uh, Mark, we want to thank you for, for joining us. And uh, we want you to be able to let our listeners know where they can find you, um, send out your Twitter handle, and, um, and tell them about what you do. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. So on Twitter, it's, it's Mark, just my name, Mark Wogenrich, capital M, capital W. Um, try to tweet out some fun stuff, but I don't know how successful that is. And the Fan Nation site is a platform of sites, uh, the SI.com network. It is, um, you go to SI.com, click on Fan Nation. There's a bunch of team sites covering most of the Big Ten, the NFL, everything like that. And so we're on the college level, SI.com slash college slash Penn State. A lot of good stuff there. Um, Story up today about the dueling children's books of this game. There's an author who has partnered with three of Michigan offensive linemen and the Penn state's backup quarterback drew Aller and putting together children's books. And these are like NIL deals. So it's kind of coming together for him this week that his first two publications are playing each other on Saturday. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, yeah, again, thanks for joining us, Mark and good luck to your Nittany lions this Saturday. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. All right, we are now joined by Michigan football beat reporter Aaron McMahon from the Ann Arbor News and M Live. Aaron, like uh, others that we've had on, goes in depth, and he is the pulse of the Michigan Wolverines. Aaron, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, good to be with you guys. So we'll get right to it here on Cover Four. You know, we've talked to the Penn State representative, and now we get the home team guy. And so I'll start off, Aaron, what similarities are you seeing between this year's Michigan team and last year's Big Ten champion team that really ran roughshod through the conference? And there's looking like there's a lot of similarities, but somebody close to the program, what are the similarities that you're seeing? Or maybe where are they even better than last year's squad? Yeah, the the bones are very much there from last year's Big Ten title team, college football playoff team. I mean, they still offensively, they still like to win the line of scrimmage. Um, they want to dominate time of possession and kind of uh, they can, they base their offense um, around the run game. So they, they have Blake Corn back from last year. Uh, he, he's rushed for 100 yards now, I think, four straight games. Uh, they leaned on him quite a bit. And so I, I think their offensive game plan kind of goes ar- around that. 
Um, so for that those I guess the similarity offensively, defensively, it's very much the same system that they used last year, uh, but they're going about it a little bit differently. Last year, they, they they leaned on the edge rushers for a lot of pressure to get to the quarterback. And while it's still the case, you're starting to see Michigan simulate blitzes and, and get pressure from other areas, uh, especially the secondary. Uh, their new first-year uh, defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, is a former defensive back himself, former corner, uh, defensive backs coach. Uh, so he brings that kind of expertise to the table. So you're starting to see Michigan not only use five, five-man defensive backfields, and they did that a little bit last year too, but you're starting to see the pressure come from there too. So um, they don't have to – so they don't have the star playmakers on, on defense, the guys like Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo and Daxon Hill, those, those names you may have heard of last year. Um, it, it's really no star defense, but they're getting, I think, all 11 guys that are kind of getting the football and, and making their imprint uh, defensively. For sure, for sure. All right, Wax, what do you got? Um, Aaron – this is kind of an, an interesting battle between these two teams. Michigan does very well at getting out to fast starts. They've scored 75 points in the first quarter this year, which is the third best figure in all of college football. But Penn State has only allowed six points all year in the first quarter. Do you think that a fast start for Michigan, especially offensively, is necessary for them to win this game. Penn State seems to have the type of defense that the longer they hang around and they're in the game, it's going to be harder to grind one out against them. So, so how important is a fast start here for the Wolverines? Yeah, I don't know if it's necess- it's necessary, but Michigan would like it. I mean, they've they've scored touchdowns on their first drive their last five games, so that's kind of been their mo. Uh, especially the last couple of weeks going on the road in the Big Ten. They like to start fast. They want to score first, so then they can dictate the pace of play. Because uh, if, if you go back and look at the box scores, Michigan largely almost always dominates the time of possession, and they want to be the ones kind of in control. So I think they feel more comfortable doing that, and I think they would obviously prefer to do that. Um, but I, necessarily, I don't necessarily think – um, you know, if say they don't score first, they're not going to win the game. But that's certainly their MO. They, they've done very well coming out of the gate in the first half and coming out of the gate in the second half. So those scripted plays, those scripted drives that they've had time to work on and kind of master, they've been very successful doing that. Now, once you go beyond that, Michigan's offense, a little bit, a little, uh, they haven't been as successful. Uh, so I, I think that certainly the key is getting out to a fast start. Is it necessary, necessary to win the game? No. Um, the fact that this, this is in Ann Arbor and at home, I think, helps them. Um, typically, historically under Jim Harbaugh, Michigan teams win ca- these caliber games in Ann Arbor. The games against the Penn States and the Notre Dames and the Wisconsin, they're often ranked. Um, the trouble historically has been going on the road. So I, I think while, while a fast start isn't necessary, it's certainly what Michigan was, is going to you know, aim to do Saturday. Do you think that it would open up the playbook, though? I mean, certainly if they're banging their head a couple of times, three times and don't score – Maybe they're a little more prone to get conservative, whereas if they get a lead, boom, we can get JJ on the edge. We can do different things. Yes and no. That's a good point because we haven't seen Michigan's playbook open up too much just yet through six games. And as I know it's been a criticism of some national analysts. I know Joe Clatt of Fox has been real critical of Michigan's play calling and the like. Um, but in a way, I think this is kind of how Michigan would, would prefer to operate. They don't want to open the book completely this early in the year. If you go back and look at their, their MO last year, it was a slow build. They ran the ball almost, almost for the first half of the season, and they didn't really open things up until they had to. So if they come out 
out there, you know, Saturday and score in the first drive and dictate time of possession and control the clock. I don't know necessarily if they they would would want to open the playbook. Now, yeah, if push comes to shove and they they fall, they find themselves down in the second half, they're trailing, they're going to have to. Um, and and that, it's been a criticism of Michigan fans. I think they want to see more JJ McCarthy. They want to see more of you know the explosive plays. And and while they've they've missed on some deep balls and the like. Um, Michigan's kind of conservative game plan under Jim Harbaugh, I think, would prefer them not spilling the book open, especially you know in, in week seven with with you know so many games left in the year. All right, again, this is Aaron McMahon from the Ann Arbor News and M Live. So, Aaron, if you can give us uh, your prediction for the game on Saturday, if you want to give us a score or you know a general spread, what do you see happening between the Wolverines and the Nittany Lions? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's going to be a one-score game either way. These two teams tend to play really tight. I would not surprise me if it's a slow-scoring maybe first half. It's a very, it's going to be very much feeling out process between these two offenses and defenses. Uh, it's going to, I think, going to be a, a clock battle, a field management battle. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a bunch of punts. Um, the, <laughs> I, I did send in my final score earlier today. I'm picking Michigan to win. I think 24-21. I think okay. the seven-point spread's a little too big. Um, this is this is by far the best team Michigan has faced all year. I, I think Penn State from a offensive and defensive perspective, they're balanced. Uh, Michigan hasn't faced a balanced team of, of this caliber just yet. Um, so I, I think they're going to give them fits. I, I, it would not su- surprise me if Penn State went in there and Saturday won the game, um, but I don't, I have a hard time envisioning this game being a runaway for either side. Uh, Michigan just hasn't been that explosive offensively. And while statistically they look good on defense, they just haven't had to play a, a ton of great offenses. And the one Decent offense they have had. They did play against Maryland. They kind of opened things up. They had trouble in the first half against it, and they had to adjust. So um, I'm expecting a close game. I think Michigan pulls that out at the end. It's a squeaker, um, but but you know I, I look at two these two teams evenly matched, and the fact that this game is in Ann Arbor, I think this I think is the uh, decider for Michigan. And uh, I certainly hope that your three-point spread is closer to what you're saying and not that nine-to-six uggo between Iowa and Illinois last weekend. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, Aaron, tell the listeners, especially those that want the heartbeat of the Wolverines, where they can find your work and your presence online. Yeah, we're uh, we're the Ann Arbor News. If you're in the state of Michigan, if not, we're at mlive.com/slash Wolverines. Uh, I got stories up all week. Um, I'm on Twitter at Aaron McMahon. Aaron with two A's. McMahon is spelled M-C-M-A-N-N. All right. So we'll, we'll be sure to uh, tag you and put that out uh, when the podcast releases. And again, Aaron, thanks for joining us. And hopefully if the Wolverines continue to have success, we can maybe bring you on, especially when the big game comes up on November 26th. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to do it. All right. It's that time, everybody. It's time for the picks. Let's get to it. You either win me or win, 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 win. Starting off, number 10, Penn State travels to Ann Arbor to take on number five, Michigan. The Wolverines are a seven-point home favorite. Sully, let's start with you. Yeah, you know, I, I think for the longest time we've been just waiting for Franklin and the team to pull off a big win, uh, a statement win inside the conference, and it's been year after year. And, you know, it seems like uh, Sean Clifford's been there now for about a dozen semesters, but yeah, you know, I, I feel like maybe this might be the time where, where they can actually pull off an upset. Uh, I know Michigan's been clicking pretty well on both sides of the ball, but uh, we are talking with Jim Fraudbaugh, and he's been going for about a season and a half now fooling everybody. So, you know what, I think this is the time where they turn the corner and uh, and, and Penn State gets it done. So I like the Nittany Lions. I'll, uh, I'll throw a 10 on it. Wax. 
Um, I'm going to go contrary. Um, I don't think that this is a, I mean, seven sounds like a high number. Um, and history would actually say to go with Michigan. They're six and two against the spread versus the Nittany Lions since 2014. But the reason I like Michigan is because Penn State has these gaudy numbers as far as stopping uh, rushing attacks. But think about it. They've played Ohio, Northwestern, and um, who is the other team? They've played. Wow, Chap, he's coming at he's coming at Northwestern on you. They no, he he has reason to this year. Three teams that can't run the ball and held them to low rushing stats. So while I do think Penn State's defense is good, I really think the strength of their defense is the back end. And I don't know that J.J. McCarthy is going to have to throw the ball that much because I think Blake Corum is going to be able to run, and I think he's going to be able to run a decent amount. And I think Michigan is going to be able to salt it away, maybe get a couple of turnovers, and I think Michigan wins by about 10. So as much as it pains me to say, give me the Wolverines. Yeah, that's Ooh. what that's what really chills me is that a, yes. a Buckeye has is, is got that much faith in, faith in Michigan. But I, I see your point on that. I I do believe in Penn State's defense. I think their defense is ahead of their offense right now, and these are two good defenses going against one another. The, uh, the visiting team has covered the last three games against the spread. So while I don't know that I uh, share Sully's faith in the Nittany Lions winning outright in A-squared, and this comes from years as being a Penn State fan and watching them lose in the big house time after time after time, I do think they cover the seven points or beat the seven-point spread. So give me the Nittany Lions plus seven, but I still like Michigan in a victory here. All right, let's go out to Knoxville, Tennessee, where – Everybody wearing Tennessee orange thinks that they are the number one team in the country and they are ready for Bama. And now they have a chance to show it the third Saturday in October. So Sully, because you're the Bama fan, we're going to give you the honors off the tee box here to start off Bama versus Tennessee, the Vols, an eight point home dog. What do you like? Man, this is, this is a real tough one. And you know, it really just hinges on the quarterback. Uh, you know, Milrow played pretty well last week. Obviously, he had the three turnovers, but all they considered, I mean, you even heard Saban in his post game talking about how there was just too many jitters in there. Uh, but the kid actually held his own for a game and a half considering the Arkansas game and last week. But if Bryce Young plays, then this game should be a lot higher than eight eight points. Uh, I think he makes that big of a difference. Uh, I think actually eight with Jalen Milrow as a quarterback is probably a Tennessee swing on my end. Uh, I think Alabama still wins the game, but I mean, you've seen just the offense. It's just so stagnant. It's just such a, a plain offense. You know, they, they talked about how they had to go back to the Jalen Hurts playbook when, when Milrow was the quarterback, where they had to get more run heavy with their quarterback. I'm just not sure that's how you could beat a team like Tennessee, uh, who's going to try to make this a boat race. And you're not going to be able to run the ball against them like, you, like you'd hope to. So uh, unless Jameer Gibbs can really get running fast and early in this game and Milrow is the quarterback, this is such a, t- a really tough, uh, you know, here on Tuesday to to do this because if if Bryce Young plays, then this is Alabama all day. If Milrow plays, then you might be swinging towards Tennessee with eight points. But uh, I think from all all signs and everything that I've read is that uh, they're getting ready for Bryce Young to be QB one on Saturday. So I'm going to go with the Tide going into uh, into the uh, orange and white checkered box and coming out with a, a ten point win. So. I get faith that Bryce Young will play. I'm going to put uh, – I'll put 20 uh, B.O.B. box on it too. All right. I, I'm going to go next here, and eight points is a lot. Now, if Bryce Young had not been injured 
And if there wasn't that question mark, I would feel more confident in Alabama winning by double digits. But, you know, they they got a scare against Arkansas, even though they came out and ended up pulling away at the end. And the fact that they played close against a Texas A&M team that really does not impress me that much. Um, I like Tennessee to get the eight points and cover. Now, I like Bama winning this if I have to if I have to choose a winner but you know as I look at at it um you know the west is easier to win so Alabama can afford and I put that in air quotes they can afford a loss Tennessee cannot so Alabama can lose this game but still win against their opponents in the SEC West coming up because you got LSU who is not that great um you know Auburn at the end they're not that great either and so you know Tennessee they can lose to Georgia, but if they get this win, they can afford to have Georgia maybe, um, you know, trip up another time. And, um, you know, I, I think this is going to be the bigger game for the Vols. That's what I'm trying to get at here. So they're going to treat this as though it's a playoff game. Whereas Alabama, I think they might err on the side of caution. They're a little banged up in the secondary. Um, if Bryce Young winces just a little bit, I think that they look long-term as, as Nick has uh, tended to do. And, you know, Tennessee is not only a really good offense, but their defensive numbers are getting better and better. So my point is, I think they can hang. They can they can keep this close and playing at home gives them that little bit of an edge to where if it was um, Bama minus six, I would take the tide. But that plus eight, that tells me that those those um, smart people out in Vegas know a thing or two. And with a number this high, I like the Vols to 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 take this one um, and cover, or I'm sorry, beat that spread. Even though I think Bama ends up winning it, but I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Vol Nation is celebrating in the streets after a victory here. So give me Tennessee plus eight here. Wax. Um, I agree with so. I don't think that Tennessee is going to win the game. I mean, they've lost all 15 meetings against Nick Saban, and they're 4-11 spread by an average of 26 points per game. Now, this does look like a different Tennessee team. Hendon Hooker doing his thing, uh, the running game coming up big. They aren't going to have Cedric Tillman. I do think the defense, similar to Penn State, has feasted a little bit on some weak, uh, some weak sisters. In fact, the two best offenses they've played, Pittsburgh and Florida, scored 27 and 33 points on them. Um, I'm like Sully. This comes down to who plays quarterback for Alabama. If it's Jalen Milrow, then I do think that Tennessee keeps this close and probably covers. And that's the only reason the A&M game was close last week. The numbers will say he played okay. He only averaged 5.8 yards per attempt. So he, they really weren't pushing the ball downfield. And I think that Bryce Young being in the game is a completely different story. Um, I do think that he is going to play, certainly try to gut this one out because it is a big game. Um, I think Alabama wins this by maybe 10 to 12, and I'm going to put 20 on the Crimson Tide. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, let's go to the Big 12 now. Um, number eight, Oklahoma State, undefeated against undefeated number 13 ranked TCU out in Fort Worth. The Horn Frogs, the lower ranked team, are a two and a half point favorite at home here. So I'll, I'll start us off here, being that it's in my former uh, home state of Texas. I like the Frogs here, minus two and a half. The home team is eight and two against the spread in the last 10 in this series. And even though Mike Gundy is 21 and 16 as a road dog, um, he's just two and three against TCU the last five straight up. And those were 
five years where TCU was kind of up and down. They had a couple of good teams in those five years, but three out of those five years, it, it wasn't necessarily that great. And Gundy lost three times to them. TCU is playing uh, very good football on both sides of the ball, but most importantly, they're not turning the ball over. Neither is Oklahoma state. Both teams protect the ball really well. So it really comes down to who's going to make the first mistake. I like the, the spice that Sonny Dykes has brought in there. Max Duggan is kind of playing with that chip on his shoulder. He wasn't the starter at the beginning of the year. And even when he came in after Chandler Morris went down, there were still some people who looked at how he played the last couple of years and said, eh, he couldn't get it done under Patterson. I don't know that he can get it done under uh, Sonny Dykes. Well, he's proven those doubters wrong. TCU is running the ball really well. They're scoring almost at will. And Oklahoma State is really just Spencer Sanders on offense. So if TCU can find a way to neutralize him or at least outscore him, they're going to win this game. So with just a two-and-a-half-point uh, spot to get here, I like the Frogs here on homecoming to beat Okie State and take the top spot in the Big 12. Give me the Frogs minus two-and-a-half. Um, Wax. Uh, I tend to agree with you. I think that TC, I actually think the wrong team is favored here. Um, I think the TCU, the emotional win over Kansas um, certainly is going to propel them. Max Duggan has just really, I think, exceeded expectations at quarterback. And he's shown that he's a real dual threat with uh, his legs and his arms. You mentioned in the conference calls just how good Quentin Johnston was with the 14 catches last week. He is a matchup nightmare for just about anybody. And um, Oklahoma State came into the season with their back end being a little bit of a question mark. And that has kind of borne itself out. Um, they're only they're 58th against the pass, and they've allowed 10 touchdown passes already and have only picked off four. So I think the TCU might be able to throw the ball on them. And I think TCU actually um, can win this game by more than the two and a half. I think they can win this by a touchdown. I'm going to put uh, 20 on the Frogs uh, in, um, in, at home. All right, Sully, what about you? Chappy, chappy, wax, wax. You guys just <laughs> do not learn. What did we talk about last week? This game doesn't come down to the X's and O's. It doesn't come down to the Johnnies and the Joes. This comes down to Vegas knows more than the three of us. Right? Last week, NC State pulled us off. They won the game by two, but what was the spread? Two and a half, right? We also, well, they're a much better team than Florida State, so they're going to win by more than way more than two and a half. They won by two. So Vegas knows more than we do. This is a very easy one. Oklahoma State, I don't care what the, the game script says. I don't care what your research says. You're two deeps, you're three deeps, whatever you want to go. Vegas knows more than we do. When the home team is favored by less than a field goal, it means that Vegas thinks that the away team is going to win. They're giving the three points automatically to the home team. Since it's not three, it's only two and a half. That means Oklahoma State is winning this game by a point. I am putting, you know, I think I put a handful of uh, of, of uh, CFP bucks in there. I'm changing it to 50 CFP bucks Ooh. because I'm rolling with Vegas here this week. You know what? They've taken way too much of my money. So now they're going to win me some money back here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's fool me twice. Uh, shame on us. So if, if Wax and I have to learn the hard way, we'll do that. Uh, but I love your reasoning there, Sully. Uh, all right, let's go to the ACC where Dino Baber, somebody who was on the wax chopping block the last couple of years, he's got his orange undefeated and number 18 in the country and pivoting for a or, or, or 
jockeying for a position in the ACC Atlantic against the number 15 NC State Wolfpack, who, um, you know, coming off that Florida State victory, they they got put in their place against Clemson. So, Sully, let's start with you. The Q's a three-and-a-half-point favorite in the um, JMA Wireless Dome against the Wolfpack. Oh, that is such a gross name for a field. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't know. To be honest, this, this is a real tough one. I mean, it depends on who plays quarterback for the pack, right? I mean, that, that again, can swing this spread pretty significantly. I just don't know really what we're going to get out of Syracuse. Um, you know, they they played Wagner the last time out. You know, they're they're clicking. They're feeling it. I've been to Syracuse for big games, and they do not pack that place. So it's not like it's a home environment. It's going to be able to propel this game. Uh, you know, it's indoors. You don't really get the college football field feel. It, it's it's such a strange environment when you go up there to uh, the former Carrier Dome. I think I'm going to have to go NC State in this one just because I think they're a little more uh, battle tested. Again, if I'm not putting any money on this one because if uh, if Larry doesn't play, then I, I don't know how NC State's going to move the ball. Uh, I think Syracuse is still trying to find that swagger. I think right now they're they're a little bit of imitators, and uh, and until they can actually find that swagger and come up with a big win, then uh, then I have to go against it with NC State, especially getting three and a half points. Uh, you know, Syracuse could win this game by a field goal at home, but if you're going to give me the extra hook, I'm taking it all day with, with NC State. Wax, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to lean toward NC State as well. I do worry without Devin Leary how much offense they're going to have. Um, in a perfect world, I think the under would be the smart play on this one. These are two really good defensive teams. Um, and Garrett Schrader has really played well this year as a compliment to Sean Tucker. So it's not just the Sean Tucker show. And I think Syracuse's defense gets overlooked a lot. That said, NC State kind of has the, the big game um, bravado, and they kind of expected some big things this year. They went toe-to-toe with Clemson, and then fourth quarter, they sort of made a couple of gaffes, and I think that they're still kicking themselves for that. They made the play last week against Florida State. Um, I wouldn't be 100% shocked if Syracuse wins this, but that hook does worry me. If Syracuse wins, it's going to be like a maybe a 20-19 to 19 game, something low scoring like that. So give me North Carolina State with the points. Um, I will say that the home team is 4-0 against the spread recently, but Syracuse has only won one of the last eight meetings, and they are just 2-6 and six against the spread off of a regular season bye. So maybe that helps NC State. I think if Syracuse had kept playing, their momentum may have uh, continued on, but I think maybe coming off that off week, they might be a little bit rusty. Yeah, at first I, I lean Syracuse because their defense is really good, especially pressuring the backfield. So even if Leary plays, that Syracuse defense is going to be coming after him and pounding and pounding and pounding him. So NC State's going to need to be able to run the football. Uh, to me, it comes down to coaching prowess. Dave Doran has had um, much more success under similar conditions against better competition. Even though Dino Babers is 4-2 and two as a ranked team, 3-0 and against the ACC, he's just 4-15 and 15 against opposing ranked teams. So NC State ranked number 15 in the country. I think that the Doran factor gets it done here, and I like NC State to kind of pop that Syracuse bubble and, and win taking the, uh, the three-and-a-half points here. All right, let's go to the SEC. Number 22, Kentucky, is a six-and-a-half-point home dog to the number 16 Mississippi State Bulldogs, coached by Mike Leach. And they're 
uh, high-flying quarterback Will Rogers putting up stat after stat after stat. So, Wax, we'll start with you. Who do you like, the Bulldogs or the Wildcats? Uh, based on what I read today, uh, offensive coordinator uh, Rick Rich uh, Scangarello thinks that Will Levis is trending in the right direction. And I do think if he plays that this is a completely different game, even though Kentucky is not flashy on offense, I think that Will Levis gives them a little bit of a calm and he's an experienced guy and he kind of knows what to expect. Um, So I'm going to go with this on the premise that Will Levis is going to play. And I will take Kentucky not only getting the points, but I think they can uh, pull the outright upset in that they are 22-12-1 as underdogs with 15 outright upsets in the last 10 years. So uh, Kroger Field will be rocking. And I think Mississippi State lays an egg to some team every year. Last time they played in Kentucky, they scored two points. So uh, this was a, a 24 to two game in the weird COVID year. And they lost the last time there in 2018 as well. So Kentucky has not been a good road stop for Mississippi state the last few years. Yeah. Originally I leaned Kentucky because the home team in this series, um, this is one of those cross divisional rivalries, if you will, the home team has won the last seven straight up and eight of the last 10, um, the home team has won by eight or more points. That said, um, if Will Levis was playing for sure, I would I would have Kentucky here, especially getting six and a half points. And after stubbing their toe at home against South Carolina last week, but that's part of my reason why I'm going to go with Mississippi State as a six and a half point favorite. They're playing really well offensively and defensively. Kentucky has has not been as well tested as Mississippi State has. And if you lose last week against South Carolina, which has been really kind of their four and two record is somewhat fraudulent. I got to go with the Bulldogs here and Mike Leach. I think that this is their season where they're kind of turning around and we see it with Mike Leach in year three or so year four, we saw it at Texas tech. We saw it at Wazoo where you're like, okay, they're, they're starting out hot, but um, I don't know that it can last. This might be that season where it starts to last. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Bulldogs finish second in the sec West when all is said and done. So give me, the leech uh, offense here minus six and a half. Sully. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with you. I like the uh, Mississippi state in this one. You know, you look at the last couple of games win against Arkansas against, you know, I think then they were top 15 Texas A&M team. I mean, those are back-to-back really quality wins. I get it. A&M is not the team that we all expected them to, to be, but still beating A&M means something nowadays. Uh, and, and, you know, beating Arkansas 40 to 17 was a huge statement. Uh, I get it. Arkansas was coming off of that, uh, that deflating loss to Alabama. But still, back-to-back conference wins mean something, especially when you're putting up an average of 40 points a game. Now, granted, those defenses aren't bad either, Arkansas and A&M. So, right. you know, you get a Kentucky team that's that struggled as of late. Uh, granted, obviously, it depends on – Chappie decided to pick all the spreads where we don't know who's playing quarterback. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, don't come after us if, if these spreads go sideways on you on Saturday, depending on – you know, these are some of the games you want to place your wager probably at Saturday at 1130, not, uh, not Tuesday at 930. Uh, but, you know, Kentucky, I was not impressed last week against South Carolina. I get it. Uh, Levis didn't play, but it, it, they just look flat on both sides of the ball. And the loss to Ole Miss, you know, Ole Miss is a good team, but still you only, they only put up 19 points. Um, this offense is only going to be able to keep up in this game if they can move the ball through the air. And if Levis isn't playing, they're not going to be able to. So I'm going to err on the side of caution, even if Levis does play, he's not going to be 100%. So 
I'm going to take Mississippi State in this one. All right, going to the Pac-12, number seven, USC, another one of the unbeatens against number 20, Utah, who lost at UCLA last week. Out in Salt Lake City, the, the Utes, the 20th-ranked Utes, are a three-point home favorite against the unbeaten Trojans. So USC, two and three straight up against Utah in Salt Lake City since they've joined the Pac-12. They're one and four against the spread. They have been uh, playing the type of football that is really not sustainable, meaning they only have one turnover this year. And that's, that's not going to be something that I think that they can keep up. When you're going to play at Salt Lake City at night in front of the MUS, okay, the mighty Utah student section, and a Utah team that is stinging off of a loss that they don't feel should have happened, Kyle Whittingham, 81-25 and 25 straight up at home. Cam Rising has not lost back-to-back games as a starting quarterback for Utah. Um, yeah, they lost the, the Rose Bowl, and then they lost their opener against Florida. But in the same season, he has not lost back-to-back. He is a gamer. He is a competitor. And USC struggles in the red zone. They struggle running the football. And when you can't do those two things against this Utah defense out in Salt Lake City, I think that spells trouble. I think Utah gets back on track and they uh, lay the three points and they cover it and beat USC. So give me Utah this week. Sully. You know, you guys understand as well as anybody, my hatred for what USC has been able to put together here by going out and, and buying a coach and stealing a coach buying their roster and, and everything that that stands for, just the changing in, uh, in college football. Right? They're now changing their conferences. They're changing everything. And, and it's what I hate about college football right now. The only thing is I hate about college football. And, and so I've had this despise for USC all season long, but I've, I've won a lot of money on them because they just continue to roll. Uh, and listen, this is, this is the type of game where they bought those players for just this exact reason, to go on the road, you know, if, if Lincoln had to go in there and build the roster from from the ground up, you know, I don't think that this isn't even a close game because you're going to have to get guys to go in there that they can handle a gut punch. Right now you get you get Addison, you know, you, you get the right you get the right ballers on both sides of the ball. You went out and you bought the best players that you can bring in there, the best players money could buy, brought them in there, gave them the, the sneaker deals, gets their face all over the billboard, and now they're going to go out there and they're going to get a statement win here because they just have proven players that have gone out there, they've scored touchdowns on the bright lights, they're not going to get shaken up by this. And I know Utah has to. Utah, I'm not worried about them. They, they're as battle-tested as any team in the country. Uh, but when it comes down to it, when both teams have experience, you got to go with the better ballers, and USC just bought the better ones. So I'm going with the Trojans here. I'll put 20 on it. All right, Wax. I am also going to go with USC. The one reason is because you mentioned it uh, in the conference calls. Travis Dye has really emerged the last few weeks. And UCLA was able to run all over uh, a Utah defense that really over the years has gained a reputation for being tough and physical and making teams really one-dimensional, not being able to run the ball. Well, Zach Charbonnet had like 198 yards last week. DTR also was able to do his thing. Uh, Caleb Williams naturally is not a great runner, but he has shown that he could be. And Die, I think, is going to continue some of that momentum. You mentioned the turnovers. I even said a couple weeks ago, I didn't think that that was sustainable, but they've had two games in a row now, USC, where the turnover margin has been zero, and yet they have won the game uh, fairly handily both times against Arizona State and Washington State. Now, I know that those are not 
upper echelon teams. And you're right. I do think in a big game and Utah's backed into a corner, that Kyle Whittingham is about as good as they get. Um, and USC has not, uh, they're just one in four in Salt Lake City since becoming a, uh, uh, since Utah became a Pac-12 foe. I just, there's just something about this USC team, especially because there's a buy after this game. I think that they are going to have everything dead set on going into that by unbeaten and then getting some pretty easy games before those last two against UCLA and Notre Dame. So I'm going to take USC as a road dog, even though the numbers say they've been horrible in that uh, position the last few years, I'm going to take USC. All right. Well, let's end up with our group of five showdown and that's number 25 James Madison traveling to Statesboro Georgia to take on Georgia Southern uh JMU is an 11 point road favorite so Wax um we'll give you the honors to start off on this last pick this week I really wanted to go with Georgia Southern just because again the way that they played coastal that that kind of came down to the wire um but there just seems to be something about this James Madison team I think the fact you touched on it last week, why are they ineligible for the Sunbelt crown? I think they're going to say, you know what? We're ineligible. We'll show you. We're just going to lay waste to everybody. And while it is not easy to go into Georgia Southern and beat them and hammer them, um, I do think that James Madison has the horses, especially on offense, to really put up some points and make Georgia Southern play from behind. The 11 worries me. I was hoping this would be about nine, nine and a half, but I'm, I'm going to roll with the Dukes here. And until, the, until they show me that they can't beat teams by a lot of points, I'm going to keep riding them. Sully, what do you think? I'm going to go with the Dukies here. I think, uh, you know, I think this is going to be a good game. Both, both sides of the ball are going to go out there and, and try to score a lot. Uh, I, I, you know, Georgia Southern just turns the ball over way too much, especially in the air. Uh, you know, a couple of costly turnovers in the second quarter, in the second half, we try to push to get some scores. Definitely going to be the end, the, uh, the result in this one, the nail in the coffin. So I'll go with James Madison pretty confidently on this one. Wax, I, I, I think about what you say. The, the 11 is what kind of jumped out at me. So if it were closer to seven, eight, nine, I would feel more confident taking James Madison. I think they win this game, but, you know, putting that ranking next to their name, I think that, this is a, a swell, even though they had a lot of success in the FCS ranks, um, now they're with the, the even bigger boys. And I think that, you know, they've, they've won so convincingly to start the season. Eventually, you get that game that tests you. And I think a road game out in Statesboro where they really love their uh, Georgia Southern football program. And Clay Helton, even though he was, you know, criticized at USC, he was 29 and or he's 29 and six in his career at home and they're playing at home, even though James Madison has won 15 straight regular season road games, 18 of their last 20. I think the Dukes get the win, but I think they're going to get tested by Kyle Van Treese and um, you know, that offense that is pretty good at protecting the ball. Only one turnover so far this year. And even though JMU has the number one rush defense in the country and Georgia Southern um, doesn't necessarily run the ball overly effective. I think that playing at home and going up against that ranked opponent and a team that, you know, Georgia Southern is probably tired of hearing about how great JMU is. I think that they give them a close match and stay within the 11. So give me Georgia Southern to beat that spread. 
All right. Well, once again, this has been the CFP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Chappie CFB, at CFFM Waxman, and at CFI underscore Sully. Also, please check out our website online at C, at, I'm sorry, www.cfpcollegefootball.com, where you'll get great knowledge of college football from the experts. So please reach out and hit us up with any and all takes. We like the banter because we love the sport. Thanks for helping us live what we love. And all we ask is that you keep listening and spread the word. So help us rise above. For Wax and Sully, I'm Chappie. Enjoy your passion. Good night, everybody.